0: Our Bible reading for this week is Luke chapter number seven. A great, great passage of scripture. How many have enjoyed reading so far? Luke chapter seven. Uh, amen. A powerful um, uh, series of stories about Jesus and about he sh- how he showed his mercy and uh, his compassion. Now tonight we're going to uh, we're going to go through and look through this passage. And uh, what we're going to discover from the book of Luke is how Jesus responded to four different tough situations, how Jesus responded to four different tough situations. And I think that there's some powerful things that we can learn and glean from this particular passage. Um, the focus of Luke chapter seven is compassion. Jesus shows compassion. And, uh, there are times in scripture and the word of God where the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. That means his action was prompted by compassion. There were needs and because of the needs and because his heart was moved by the needs, he met the needs. And, um, so Jesus was a man who was moved with compassion. In Luke chapter seven We're going to see his compassion in action, and we're going to look at his compassion in action. Now, uh, just uh, uh, before we get into this and before we begin reading, a couple chapters earlier in Luke chapter 5, we read the story of uh, the man that had leprosy that came to Jesus and uh, cried out to him and asked for a healing. In order to understand the implications of what was happening, you must know that during that time, leprosy was a... Uh, skin disease that was looked down on because people felt that folks that had this skin disease, it was a showing of God's judgment on their life. So it was a sign of shame. And they had to go around everywhere saying, unclean, unclean, so that nobody would breathe the air around them and nobody would touch them. And this person whose life, you, you can imagine the emotional duress if there were a sickness that today, if you got it, everybody just assumed, well, God's upset with them. They've done something wrong. Uh, They've got uncleanness. And when this person came to Jesus and cried out to Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Nobody would touch a leper. Lepers would go everywhere crying unclean, unclean. And many Bible scholars believe the word touch means to grasp and take hold that Jesus actually embraced this man in the midst of his need. And and I, I'm thankful that that's the kind of God that we serve, that Jesus has that kind of compassion. He reaches and touches those that are untouchable and nobody else would reach out to. That's our Jesus. Amen. And so we're going to focus. Uh, On uh, Luke chapter 7. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, pray that you would uh, give us insight and direction tonight as we study your word. Let us uh, uh, learn more. Let us become more like you through this process, Jesus. And I pray that uh, as we study and discern your word, let it impact and bring transformation and change to us. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. If you, if you really wanna be changed by the word tonight, just lift up your hands as a sign of surrender. Lord, I want you to change me. I, I want you to uh, reveal some things in me, Lord God. I want you to uh, make me the way you want to make me, Lord Jesus. I want your nature to be formed in me. So God, somehow through this word tonight, Lord Jesus, as we're reading it this week and as we're studying it tonight, Lord, my prayer is that you would impact and change me by your word. I believe that your word will wash me. I I believe that your word will uh, arrange my priorities. I believe that your word will put me on the right path. And so I'm asking today, Lord, let your word change me in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that and you say, Lord, I want to be changed, just shout amen. 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 God bless you, and uh, you can be seated. Compassion. Compassion could be described as your pain in my heart, when I'm able to feel the pain of other people. And I think this is the fascinating thing about the incarnation, is that, and the incarnation means God coming in the flesh as Jesus Christ, is that no longer was it God afar off looking at our situation, but not being real familiar with it. Now it was going to be God touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Being able to have our pain in his heart, to see it and to feel it and to have empathy and compassion for people. In chapter 7, we're going to study four people that Jesus confronted their misery, their difficult situation. We're going to start with a dying servant. The first 10 verses, a dying servant. Then we're going to look at a grieving widow. The third person is a perplexed prophet. And the fourth person is a repentant sinner. And what we'll learn from this passage is that these people, in their miseries, Jesus helped them all. We're going to start by reading verses 1 through 10. We're going to read about Jesus, how he responded to a man with a dying servant. Verse 1, now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself uh, worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, and those who were sent Returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. As we read this passage, we find right off that this centurion, this Roman general or uh, officer, was a man that the Jewish people liked. And that was kind of unusual uh, because there was not a friendly environment between the Jewish people, who were the oppressed, and their oppressors, the Romans. But this man was so liked, he had helped them get their synagogue built, that he was commended to Jesus by the Jewish elders. They said, this is a man that deserves the help. He's a good man. And you could tell he's a good man. He has a heart of concern for a lowly servant boy. He says, I want this guy to be healed, this young man in my care who serves me. And you can see here in this passage his great love, and his humility if you really study this and get to where they were living you would realize it is highly unusual for a roman officer to say to a jewish rabbi i'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof so this man was a man that was a deserving man a kind man and a considerate person and uh but despite all of these characteristics that were admirable, that the Jewish elders liked and the Jewish people liked, Jesus drew their attention to one aspect of this man's character. He said to the crowd that was following him, I haven't seen this great of faith in all of Israel. I've been hanging around with you guys, and I haven't seen anybody that has faith this great, because the man comes out and says, Master, I'm not even worthy that you should come under my roof, and I'm not even worthy for you to be bothered on my behalf. I'm a man that's under authority, and I understand that when I speak the word, things happen. And you also are a man under authority. And just like I can command soldiers, I believe you can command diseases and tell them to come and go. So here's what we'll do. Why don't you just say the word? And I know it's, t- don't even bother yourself coming to my house, just say the word, amen? amen. And, uh, and so Jesus said, have you seen faith like this? And Jesus spoke the word and, so, and some uh, messengers ran back to the house and they came back, they're like jumping around and say, he's already well. This man that was at death's door, this servant that was really sick is doing good already, Amen. Jesus responded to this man's faith and he acted in compassion for the need because of the faith of this individual. You know, there's only two places where I find Jesus commending someone for having great faith. And in both instances, it was non-Jews. The Roman centurion and the Greek woman, the Syrophoenician woman, who had a daughter that was demon-possessed. She came to Jesus as well. And uh, remember the story, Jesus said, it's not me to take uh, the bread for the children and toss it to the dogs. And she persisted and she said, you know what, but the dogs take the crumbs that fall. All, all I need is a crumb that'll take care of me. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and once again, Jesus just spoke the word and the miracle happened somewhere else. Two characteristics of these people with great faith is number one, they weren't raised around the truth they didn't understand much about the stories of scripture they didn't have much of a foundation for their faith yet they believed in the power of jesus anyhow number one and number two they had so much faith in jesus that they let the master go his way believing that the miracle had done been done before they had any evidence of the miracle before they ever got back home, they just believed that the power was in the word of God and the words of Jesus Christ. So Jesus responded to this need and brought attention to the great faith that this man uh, had, even though he was an outsider and no, had no biblical background. He also drew attention to the fact, uh, or this, may, the, this story draws attention to the fact Uh, that the centurion recognized that he had authority because he was submitted. He said, I'm a man under authority. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. He didn't say, I'm a man that has authority. He said, I'm a man under authority. He understood the flow of authority. So what he was saying is, I understand that I can speak words and things happen, Because I'm submitted to the authority that's under me. And the same is true. The same is true anywhere, and particularly in the kingdom of God, that we exercise authority when we operate in submission to authority. And this is a part of what made this great man a man of faith. Great faith. The second person is in verses 11 through 17. The second miserable situation was this widow Verse 11, now it happened the next day that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. So there's a bunch of people following Jesus. And when he came near the gate of the city, the city Nain, behold, a dead man was being carried out, who was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when Jesus, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up. And began to speak. I bet it was interesting what he had to say. He began to speak. And Jesus presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all. And they glorified God saying. A great prophet has risen up among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea. And all the surrounding region. So here we have a meeting of two crowds at the city gate of Nain. But actually, it was more than just two crowds. There were actually four meetings that took place there at the gates of this city. The first one were two crowds. That's what the Bible says. Jesus, his disciples, a great crowd of people are coming into the city, and they meet a great crowd of people that are leaving the city and heading towards the cemetery with this lady who had lost her son and she was already a widow there was one group of people that's coming like giving each other high fives rejoicing in the goodness of the lord the miracle from yesterday excited about what jesus is doing and then there's another group they come in contact with another group that's leaving town mourning and crying and trying to comfort this mother These two crowds met each other, and the two crowds couldn't have been any different. Jesus and the crowd was heading into the city. This other crowd was heading out to the cemetery. And I want to make sure we understand that we today, spiritually, are in one of these two crowds. We are either following Jesus, and when we are trusting in Jesus, we're heading to the city. Amen? Or we're in the other crowd that are dead in sin and headed to the cemetery under the condemnation of God. And you'll see a notable change when these two crowds meet each other. And I want to be a part of the co- crowd that's rejoicing in what the Lord is doing and rejoicing in our destiny and rejoicing in what God has planned for us. Amen? That was the first meeting. There was another meeting. There were two only sons that met. It says that This boy was mom's only son. The Bible says that Jesus was the only begotten son. Two sons met that day. One of them was alive but was destined to die. The other one was dead but destined to be alive because he came in contact with Jesus Christ. So you have a meeting of two only sons. You also have two sufferers that meet. This mother who lost her son is in the most unbelievable amount of emotional pain. And who does she meet? The man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. And Jesus, as a man of sorrows, could identify with her heartache. And I want you to understand that today, that Jesus came so that he can identify, so that he can be moved with compassion. You don't have to feel like he doesn't know where you are. He's been there. Amen? Betrayed by friends, he's been there. Alone on the cross, he's been there. Suffering, he's been there. He came as a man of sorrows. And there that day, the man of sorrows met with a woman who was feeling the pain. And Jesus Christ felt the pain and the death that sin had brought into this world. Sin brought pain and death into the world and Jesus was gonna do something about it. He was moved with compassion. I want all of us to know that Jesus is moved with compassion, amen? And then who met? Finally, the, the, the fourth meeting were two enemies, two enemies, Jesus Christ and death. Death is our enemy, but Jesus Christ is the only one that can overcome the enemy of death. Amen. And that's what he did on the cross when he came out of the tomb. He overcame the uh, enemy of death. All right? So that's the second interaction that Jesus had with someone's misery. And the story goes that Jesus touched this young man. And uh, the young man got up, sat up, and began to speak. And then Jesus helped him off of the funeral beer and presented him to his mother can you imagine what a what a change of a day <laughs> what, what a change of a day for this family like the the people that are are uh, in the funeral march they're like i guess we're gonna go to the repast there's chicken there we might as well so but i mean this has turned into a party you know what i'm saying this is like exciting and so everything changed. And, and that's what Jesus Christ is. When he is moved with compassion, he's going to use his power to turn the situation around. I want you to understand that Jesus is a man, amen, that was moved uh, with compassion. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The third person is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Let's read about John the Baptist here. He was a man who is a powerful prophet of God who is experiencing doubt and confusion. Doubt and confusion. A powerful man of God. Well, that's good to know that a powerful man of God can experience seasons of doubt and confusion. And we're not talking about the beginning of John's ministry. We're talking about right at the end of John's ministry. Somebody that in a sense is mature, but he's having a season of confusion And doubt. Let's look at confusion. Verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah? Or do we look for another? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now, you have to understand the context here. This is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one who had pointed up on the hillside and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Here he comes. The one who had heard the voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well, pleased," The, The very one that had baptized Jesus The very one that said, uh, there's one coming after me who's greater than I. And I'm not even worthy to tie up his shoes. He's coming. And when he saw him, he said, I baptize you with water under repentance, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. But not long after this, John is put into prison. The uh, uh, Roman authorities are concerned that uh, he's stirring up too much religious zeal among the people, commanding them to repent. And so they want to repress the potential tumult that would result from John's message. And so they throw him in prison. And for a man that lived in the wilderness, surviving on locusts and wild honey, kind of like a modern homeless person, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't like being locked up in a prison. It probably did physical It was a time of physical and emotional duress for him. And in the midst of this physical and emotional duress, he found himself facing confusion. Ah, I was pretty sure you were the Messiah. I know I heard from God. I trust my spiritual instincts. When I saw Jesus, I knew he was the Messiah. I told all my followers to follow him. I told him I'm going to decrease uh, and he's going to increase. Uh, But here in prison, my mind's getting a little shady and hazy and I'm not quite sure about what I once was so confident about. I'm not sure if he's the Messiah. And so I'm going to send my faithful disciples that come and check on me in jail. I'm going to send them to ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or whether we should look for another see he was in prison and the jewish leaders weren't doing anything to help him and jesus was the one that it was proclaimed would set the prisoners free and john's probably thinking here i am in prison i'm a good candidate if you're the messiah if you've come to set up the kingdom of heaven why haven't i been set free we can't understand everything that was going through his mind but we do know that he was experiencing some confusion because of the physical and the emotional strain i want to tell you today something that may be an eye-opener for you but it's the truth it is not unusual for great spiritual leaders to experience doubt and uncertainty Mm, that's not what you wanted to hear was it it's not unusual for great spiritual leaders to experience doubt and uncertainty what about Moses? Moses went through a season of doubt. What about Elijah, who goes and hides in a cave right after God works a miracle? says, God, please take my life. Let's end this. God's like, no, I got st- still got stuff for you to do. What about Jeremiah? What about the apostle Paul? All these great leaders in the Bible, we find complete clear evidence that they experienced and famili- were familiar with despair. And the Bible says, the Bible makes clear here that he was dealing with doubt. He was struggling with doubt. Something that once was established, now he is experiencing doubt. I want to deal with something tonight from this passage. Believers that are sincere may have seasons of doubt and uncertainty. If John the Baptist did, don't you think we might? If the Apostle Paul did, I mean, if Moses, don't don't you think that we might experience moments of doubt and uncertainty? But I want to clear something up. There is a big difference between doubt and unbelief. There's a big difference between doubt and and unbelief doubt is a matter of the mind unbelief is a matter of the will doubt has to do with i've got some issues and i don't understand what god is doing and i don't understand why he's doing it that's where john was Uh, i don't understand what jesus is doing i don't understand why he's doing it this way it's a matter of the mind what is unbelief Unbelief's a matter of the will that refuses to believe god's word and refuses to do what god tells you to do let's let's pull the curtain because some people think that that uh uh, you you know that that uh, that doubt is a is a death now doubt is a natural thing in the process of a believer you go through seasons because your brain's working Doubt is not a sign that something's wrong. It may be just a sign that you're thinking. But it transitions to unbelief when you refuse to believe God's word and refuse to submit to, to the word of God. Are you guys with me? You see the difference here? Unbelief and doubt. Doubt may not be wrong. You may just be trying to figure things out. John was not willfully practicing unbelief. But he was struggling with doubt that had been nourished by physical and emotional strain. And when you are living life, when you're serving God, when you're raising a family, when you're involved in ministry, when you're leading, there are times when physical and emotional strain will nurture questions because you don't know what God's doing and why he's doing it. Anybody been there before? Can I get an amen? Because there's some people here that need to hear that this has happened to all of us. I don't know why God's doing this. I don't know what God is doing. I'm still trying to trust Him. That's not unbelief. Unbelief is rejecting the authority and refusing to believe the Word of God and refusing to respond to the Word of the Lord. John was trying to figure it out. What's going on? I come in, and I'm announcing judgment, telling people to repent. And then Jesus comes does miracle for people, shows love and kindness and gentleness. I thought I was on the right path here, and now Jesus, what's going on here? Is this the one? I know I heard from God when he told me to tell the people to repent, but Jesus is doing acts of mercy and love. I told people the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But here I'm in prison, I don't see any evidence of the kingdom of heaven being established. John didn't understand what God was doing and what Jesus was doing. And so the Lord responded to it. Verse 21. At that very hour, Jesus cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John. Go tell John the things that you've seen, the things that you've heard. Go tell him that the blind see, that the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed, that the deaf are hearing, that the dead are raised, and that the poor are having the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Go tell John. Go send him a message. Jesus didn't sit him down and say, okay, let me talk about the theology of the kingdom. And now John is the forerunner. He's preaching a message of repentance, but I've come to deliver the kingdom. Now the kingdom is not what you assumed. It's not going to be a kingdom established uh, with, uh, uh, with rulers. We're not going to overthrow the Roman, the Roman uh, leadership, uh, blah, blah, blah. He didn't do that. He said, uh, he didn't, actually didn't say anything. He just started working miracles. They come and said, are you the one or should we look for another? Blind eyes Open deaf ears, unstopped. The poor have the gospel, the kingdom preached to him. It's happening. And then he wheels around and said, go tell John. Go give them a word. Tell them that the blind are seeing, that the deaf are hearing, that miracles are still happening, that the signs of the kingdom are in operation. You may not understand what's happening and how it's happening, but God's at work. God's at work through this right now. John, put your attention on the fact that the supernatural is still happening. Put your attention on the fact that the kingdom of God is going forward, that people are embracing the message. Put your attention on the fact that the work that you started is still going on and he said blessed is he that's not offended in him the word offended actually means caught in a trap he's saying john you're in danger of being trapped by concern for what i'm not doing that you think i should be doing oh there's a message there right don't be offended don't be caught in a trap because you're worried about what i'm Not doing. See, John John had this expectation of what Jesus was going to do, what the kingdom of heaven was going to look like, and here he's out working miracles and people are getting saved. People are embracing the kingdom. And there are a lot of people that criticize the church for not changing the world. Well, isn't the church supposed to be solving the economic and political and social problems of society? And they forget. That God doesn't change the world that way. God changes the world by changing individual people one at a time. Amen? And even though the church can lead in humanitarian and reform, the main purpose of the church is to bring lost sinners to a Savior. Amen? And this is what we're about. Don't get offended. Don't get caught in a trap by what God's not doing in your life or by what the church is not doing. Understand that the purpose of the kingdom of God is to seek and save the lost. And when lost people are changed, the world is changed. Praise God. Amen. And everything we do, proclaiming the gospel is the first priority of the church. And then Jesus gives a commendation to John, beginning in verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. He said, What did you guys go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Wasn't a wishy washy guy. What did you go out to see? A man clothed in fancy clothes? Indeed, those who are gorgeously aparted and live in luxury are in the king's court. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes, I say unto you, he is more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. For I say unto you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of john but the pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of god for themselves not having been baptized by him so in this passage the word says that jesus publicly commended john's ministry once his uh, messengers had left and he said that uh, born among women there is no greater prophet than john john did exactly what he was supposed to do. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his way straight. But then he said something interesting. He said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. What did he mean? He didn't mean that we were going to have greater character than John or greater ministry than John. But Jesus was saying, when you get into the kingdom of God, the least, the youngest, the earliest, the least significant Is greater than John the Baptist. In what way, Jesus? In position, because John was one who heralded the King, but we who are a part of the Kingdom of God are children of the King. John prepared the way for the King, but through the. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become a part of the kingdom and a child of God. So Jesus was saying, as great as John was, if you get in the kingdom positionally, you'll be greater than John the Baptist. Amen. And then in verse 31 through 35 is a condemnation to those that uh, rejected the message of Jesus and justified themselves. 31, and the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? What are they like? They're like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said, Oh, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Now, what in the world is this talking about? He said, First of all, this generation is childish. They're childish. The flute's playing. They don't want to dance. And then, on the other hand, there's a mournful song. They don't want to mourn. They don't go to, want to go to a wit- wedding. And they don't want to go to a funeral. John the Baptist comes with a stern message. Stern him up to repent. Oh, he's a demon. Jesus comes with a message of grace and mercy. Oh, he's not strict enough. He's a wine-bibber. What was the point? The point was, you guys find fault with the messenger instead of realizing the messenger has a word for you and looking internally, it's a childish thing to do. It's childish to find fault. It's childish to be in the position where you refuse to look in and let the message impact you, but instead, instead, you simply want to find fault. Amen. Nothing pleased them. People who want to avoid truth about themselves can find something in the preacher to criticize. Let's find fault with the messenger if you don't like the message. And then you can justify yourself. That's what this passage is saying here. Oh, Jesus, he's a wine bibber. Don't worry about what he has to say. Message is getting to me, but ah. Problem with the messenger. John the Baptist, oh, he's 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 got a demon message of repentance was getting to them and the point here is it's time to come face to face with truth about yourself it's what jesus was saying rather than justifying your own self number four jesus encounter with uh this sinful woman and his response to her expressions of love and worship Now, let's look at the story here. We'll begin with uh, verses 36 through 38. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil And stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So this is at the house of Simon, who is a Pharisee. And we understand that for the most part, obviously, the Pharisees rejected Jesus because they were full of spiritual pride. But this Pharisee named Simon had enough regard for Jesus to give a sincere uh, invitation to come to his house. It was a respectable home. And no doubt the uh, place where they ate was in an outward courtyard, and sometimes people would come and just observe. The important thing to know about this woman that showed up is she was not an invited guest. And it was an embarrassment to Simon for this sinful woman to show up at his house this was a a woman who was an admitted sinner look at this verse 39 now when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he spoke spoke to himself this man if he were a prophet would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him for she's definitely a sinner and and jesus answered and said to, to him simon i have something to say to you he said say on he said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them love him the most? Simon said, I suppose the one who forgave more. He said, you've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are Forgiven. Those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Quite a story here, huh? She admitted she was a sinner. She gave evidence that she was a repentant sinner because she came and her tears were washing her feet. Many Bible scholars believe that she had given her life to following Jesus the day before. That in the experience she had been transformed she came with a humble attitude kneeling at his feet she came with an expensive gift pouring it out to her to to him she was repentant and she came to jesus but the host simon was critical he was embarrassed first of all he said man this jesus must not be a prophet because if he was he'd know what kind of woman that was at his feet kissing his feet and because back in that day, a, a rabbi would not allow himself to even be touched by a female, and here's a female who not only is a woman, but she 's a sinner. Everybody knows it's public info. And here she is at the feet of Jesus, sobbing, pouring ointment, kissing his feet, wiping his feet with "This is embarrassing, "Oh man, I hate that this happened." In my house, and it's obvious that he's not a prophet. I thought he was a prophet, but if he was a prophet, he'd know that this woman is a sinner. And Jesus said, Simon, can I say something to you? And he's like, Go for it. And Jesus then showed that he was a prophet by revealing Simon's thoughts. (laughs) He's I know what you're thinking about right now. And let me talk to you a little bit about what you're thinking about right now. See, Simon was blind, he could not see the woman. He could not see Jesus, and he could not see himself. See, the problem was, is this woman was a sinner, but Simon was a sinner too. The difference is the woman knew she was a sinner. Simon was blind to his own condition. You know why? Because her sins were sins of the flesh that everybody knew about. His sins were sins of the spirit that were covered and hidden. And Jesus was saying, in essence, we're not here to talk about the amount of sins or the scandalous nature of one sin versus another sin. The reality is, Simon's as much of a sinner as this woman. Simon is as spiritually bankrupt as this woman. Simon, you're a Pharisee. Everybody looks up to you and thinks you're a holy man. But the reality is, you're just as lost as this woman because all of us have sinned. Difference between her and you, she knows she sinned. She came and poured out her love on me. She repented of her sins. She has poured out the anoint the ointment on my feet her tears, her humility, her gift reveals that her heart has been changed and she recognizes her need of my forgiveness. And so I'm going to give her forgiveness, but Simon, I'm going to leave your house and the sin forgiver is going to walk out of here without forgiving your sins. And you're in a hopeless situation. You're in a hopeless condition. Amen. Because you can only be saved by your sins being taken care of. And I'm the only one that can take care of your sins, but you don't even want to help me take care of your sins you don't even recognize who i am you don't even recognize your condition and you're looking down on this other woman because she's pouring out her love on me because of her reputation and because of her past both of them were spiritually bankrupt but this woman accepted the free salvation that jesus had for her and she was justified come on somebody give praise to god amen and simon Simon, on the other hand, rejected the offer and remained unforgiven. He was blind to what was happening. And Jesus, at the end, forgave her of her sins. She was guilty of the sins of commission, what she had done. Simon was guilty of the sins of omission, what he had not done. And everything that he had neglected to do, the woman did. Jesus said, Ever since I got in here, she has, you you, you didn't even wash my feet. She's been washing my feet with her own tears and wiping them with her hair. You didn't offer me a kiss. She's been kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She has been anointing my feet with this fragrant oil. All the things you didn't do, this sinful lady is doing. Now, don't get the idea that, that she was being saved by her tears or by her gift. Jesus made it clear that it was her faith that was saving her. No amount of good works can pay for salvation. Grace is what paid the price. The price that was paid was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But Jesus did not reject the woman's tears or her gift of ointment because her works were the evidence of her faith. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by faith plus works, but we're saved by faith that leads to works, to an expression of the change. Amen. And when you see somebody who's given their life to the Lord, amen, when when you came to Jesus, I hope you had the spirit of this. See, this is a problem with some of us that were raised in church. Sometimes those of us that were raised in church, goody two shoes, kept our nose clean, you're not careful, you can get a little prideful. This is problem with people who have been in church for a while. Can I step on your toes a little bit here? Oh, we've been in church. I know the ins and the outs. Look at this new person coming in. They don't know anything. They're making all kinds of missteps. It's so stupid. Don't you know? Come on. You may see sins of the flesh, but you don't even see what's happening in your own heart. Amen. It's time for us to realize without Jesus Christ, you're as hopeless as the drug addict. You're as hopeless as the prostitute without his grace and mercy, without an extension of God's love. And so the only result can be is we've got to understand. I need Jesus. Amen. Just like this woman that come broken and crying and weeping. She was expressing her thanksgiving to Jesus for saving her. And he said, "Your sins are forgiven. Is that in our heart? Is that in our heart?" Jesus, at another point, uh, said, there were two men that came into the temple to pray. I don't know this passage. Maybe can you tell me where? Find it. Two men came into the passage to pray uh, into the uh, uh, synagogue to pray together, and they had different attitudes. One of them, one of them, came in, and he looked all oh, dressed to the nines. He had his little spot, monogrammed pew. And uh, he came in and he walked around and said, Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these sinners. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that publican over there. Mm, Thank you. Thank God you saved me from that mess. I tithe of everything. I come faithful to church. Everybody looks up to me. I thank you, Lord, that I'm a good guy. Thank you, Lord. And then the other guy comes in. What does he do? He pounds on his chest. And says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican that the other guy was looking down on was crying out to God saying, Jesus, uh, I need you, be merciful to me. And Jesus said, one of them went home to his house justified by God. The other one went home to his house not justified. You know what the biggest difference is? If you justify yourself, you're not getting God's justification. He justified himself and went home the same way that he came. But if you come into the house of the Lord and you recognize, but for the grace of God, I'm right there. But for the mercy of the Lord, I'm right there. And today i got to give you thanks because you've given me much, even though I don't recognize it. Where was that? Luke. Luke 18, verse 10. You can read it for yourself. He said, uh, uh, when we come into the presence of the Lord. See, that's why I can't handle people come to church and sit there like they got it all figured out. Can I be stern right now? When you come to the house of God, it's time to worship God. Doesn't matter how long you've been serving God or how much you know or how deep you're theological roots go in this it's time for every single one of us to recognize that i'm just like that person over there their sins might be many they they might be more known it might be more obvious but i got stuff down inside of me that i need god to forgive me of and i got to come with tears as well i've got to come crying out to the lord and saying i need jesus every day hallelujah hallelujah That's why Jesus said, he said, sometimes it's hard for the wealthy to be saved because they trust in themselves. You can only be saved when you stop trusting in yourself, in your knowledge, in your insight, in your understanding, and your track record, and your reputation. Forget all that. I trust in Jesus. Hallelujah. I trust in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus because I know, I know about what God's grace is. God's grace is unmerited favor. That woman didn't do anything to deserve God's forgiveness, and she knew it. And that's why she could receive his forgiveness and rejoice in it. Simon didn't understand God's grace. He was blind to the message of God's grace, so he could not receive it, and he could not Rejoice in it. And there were the legalists, the critics that were there at the dinner that were shocked when Jesus said, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Jesus, by forgiving sins, was claiming to be God. And he was not just flippantly saying, Oh, I forgive you. Oh, you're forgiven. I forgive you. And it wasn't flippant words, they weren't cheap words. They were going to cost him dearly in just a few days on the cross. So these are four great miracles, four great miracles. The miracle of healing the centurion's servant, that was a great miracle, amen? An even greater miracle was raising the widow's son from the dead. But in this chapter, the greatest miracle of all was his saving this woman from her sins and making her a new creature and a new person in Jesus Christ. The miracle of salvation has to be the greatest miracle of all because it meets the greatest need, it brings the greatest results, and it costs more than any of these miracles that happened that day. It costs Jesus his life on the cross to be able to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for this woman because she encourages us to believe that Jesus can take any sinner... And turn them in to a child of God. And God's grace is for everybody. But you have to either accept it or reject it. That goes for all of us. Hallelujah. I'm excited. I'm just so pumped in my spirit to see the lives that God's changing at Life Church. Doesn't matter how long you've struggled with what you're struggling with doesn't matter how the people in the community think of you. It doesn't even matter how bad you've started to feel about yourself. Jesus came. Jesus came for the ones that had no reputation. Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Praise God. You know, if if I was Jesus, I'd go, I'd want to go talk to to the king. I'd want to go talk to the uh uh, the roman person in charge i'd want to go talk to the religious leaders he said nope I, i got i got an agenda i got to go through samaria because there is an immoral woman with who's had six husbands and is living with a guy right now. But I'm finna to change her life. And when I change her life, it's going to change the whole community. And there's going to be a revival recorded in Acts chapter 8 among the Samaritans that was started, praise God, by a woman at the well that met Jesus whose life was transformed. And Jesus can change anybody. Jesus can change anybody. And this church, praise God, is a church that's going to change the world. But it's going to happen through lives that have been changed, that nobody hallelujah. Nobody's going to be able to believe what God is doing. Praise God. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. When I hear testimonies, pastor Brown, my friends don't know what happened to me. They're wondering what happened. Why are you going to church? You're going to church. Why are you going to church? Uh, What's so different about you? Why have you committed yourself to this? Amen. You know what? It's getting people's attention. It's getting people's attention. And I want i want anybody here to know, praise God, that by faith you can access God's miracle of salvation. And he'll love you. He'll forgive you. He'll wash your sins away. He'll make you a new creature through the power of the gospel and through the power of the spirit of God. That's what this church is about. This church is not about a bunch of people that got it all figured out. More sanctified, more holy, more prideful than anybody else. That's not what this church is about. This church is about extending God's grace and being Jesus Christ in this generation, making his word known, making his love celebrated. Amen. And uh, at one point, I think another translation or, or, or another rendering of this says this woman's story is going to be told everywhere. The the ointment that she poured out is going to be told everywhere. And when you fancy dudes in your fancy suits are dead and gone, nobody even knows who you are. People are going to be talking about this lady right here because she knew the power, the grace of God, and she knew that she'd been forgiven and her love was pouring out to Jesus. I want to be one of those that loves much. I want to be one of those that recognizes how spiritually bankrupt I am and was without the grace of Jesus. Can we stand and praise him? Hallelujah. Can we stand Stand and praise him right now. I feel his presence here in this place. I want to love him right now. I want to pour out my love on Jesus. I thank you, Lord. God, that you didn't get stuck by my pride but you love me anyway. I thank you, Lord God, that my issues didn't turn you off to me but you love me anyway, Lord God, and I thank you and I recognize your grace in my life. I recognize and freely receive your forgiveness today. Thank you for forgiving me. Can anybody just thank the Lord for forgiving you right now of every one of your sins? When you repented, he forgave you. Can you Give him thanks for it right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Uh, thank you for setting me free. Thank you for washing me clean. Thank you for making me a new creature. Thank you for giving me a destiny. Thank you for making me a part of the crowd that's heading to the city with rejoicing. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Whoo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. I'm talking about knowing what he's done for you and what he's given you, and gratitude. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. hallelujah 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 and i want to be like jesus i want to be moved with compassion i want to be moved with compassion i want to reach out to people i want to love people amen i don't want to see myself as on another plane than somebody else i don't want to look down on anybody i want to love people anybody feel that in your spirit hallelujah i want to be like jesus I want to be like him. Jesus, let's say that as a prayer before we leave here. Let's ask the Lord to make us more like him. Can we do that before we leave here today? Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. Uh, I thank you for the grace and mercy that you've shown to me, Lord God. But I pray, Lord Jesus, uh, that I would not staunch the flow of compassion but that I would let it flow through me. Let my bowels of compassion flow in the name of Jesus. I want to be like you Jesus. Uh, Hallelujah in every way Lord God. I want your character, your nature and your grace to flow through me. I pray Lord Jesus let this be my daily anthem and my daily prayer to be like you Lord God. On earth I long to be like you Jesus. Uh, All through this journey from earth to glory my prayer my cry lord god is less like this world less like the old me and more like you jesus i love you lord i praise you and i thank you in jesus name and if you believe god's heard your prayer right now put your hands together and let's praise him together